Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, we're starting in verse 63 this morning. And the way we're going to start this morning is we're going to look at a bit of the historical context for this passage. And so if you've been in church for a number of years, you've heard about Herod and Pilate, these other rulers. And what we want to do this morning is look at who these guys were. And why did Jesus have to go from one to the other? Why, why did this thing shake out the way that it did? And so what we want to do this morning is look to see that our faith isn't just some kind of mystical experience that we have. Our faith is grounded in, in truth and in reality of what happened. The guys in these passages are, are, are real men with, with real responsibilities and real jurisdiction at the time. These guys aren't just made-up names. These are historical figures that we're talking about in this passage. And so we want to start this morning by just looking at the historical reality of what took place in Jesus' day, and spe- specifically in Luke chapter 22 and 23. And so we're going to do that first, and we're going to look at then our response to who Jesus Christ is. And so we're going to start with the history, then we're going to look in the, into uh, the response of who Jesus Christ is. So if you just want to pray with me as we begin this morning. Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would that you give us insight and wisdom into your word. God, we realize that your Holy Spirit is the one who gives us understanding. God, that apart from you, we cannot make sense of the things that are being spoken. So Lord, we come before you today humble and needy. God, we need your spirit to reveal Jesus Christ to us today. Lord, help us to understand. Give us faith in our hearts. Let our hearts be open and soft to receive the good news. So Jesus, thank you this morning again for allowing us to gather together in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking this morning at Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 63. We're going to look at today, as we said, the historical context of who Herod, who Pilate, who these men were. And so we're going to look at the first century world. Was, it was ruled by Rome. So you want to put the slide up, please? The first century world was ruled by Rome. Say that five times fast, right? The first century world was ruled by Rome. Okay. As you can see, the Roman Empire was vast. It, it encompassed the entire Mediterranean basin and beyond. Uh, this empire included Palestine, where Jerusalem was located. And so you can see the, the Roman Empire was a powerful empire had much um, authority and rule in the places that they were overseeing. But during Jesus' lifetime, um, the Caesar, or the supreme ruler of Rome, uh, was Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus um, would then be later followed by his son Tiberius. And because the Roman Empire was so vast, they didn't have Facebook or you know real-time interactions with one another. They would have the various areas of the Roman Empire ruled by kings or governors. And these kings and governors had a responsibility to keep the peace and to collect taxes. So your job was to make sure that there was no uprisings, that the people were, in a sense, happy and following along with the rules. But at the same time, they needed to pay their taxes because you had to fund a massive empire. And so the job of of the various uh, leaders were to keep the peace, collect taxes. All right. Now, one of these rulers, 
in this area was a guy by the name of King Herod. And King Herod or was also named Herod the Great. And Herod did some good things. Herod was uh, the ruler of the area of Palestine, and he rebuilt the temple. He helped expand and rebuild the temple, so it was good for Jerusalem and for the Jews. But yet, he was the same guy who also was a little bit crazy. He was concerned that his wife and his children were going to take away his power, so he just killed his wife and some of his kids. You can imagine what that family gathering would have been like the next year, right? A little bit awkward. You thought your family gatherings were awkward? Wait till dad kills mom and a couple of the brothers. So they had a little bit of awkwardness there. He was a brutal leader. But this guy, Herod the Great, was also the same guy who, in Matthew chapter 2, if you remember, ordered all the infants two years and younger in Bethlehem to be murdered. So that's Herod the Great. Now, after Herod's death, his kingdom was then divided amongst his, some of his children, the, re, the children who were still alive, right? So they were, it was divided amongst their children, and two of the children um, were named Herod Antipas, and he was over Galilee, and then the, another guy by the name of Archelaus, who for a brief time ruled over um, Judea and Samaria, right? Now, Herod Antipas, Herod the great son, was the same Herod who had John the Baptist killed. And so he had John the Baptist killed, but he is also the uncle of Herod Agrippa, who had the Apostle James killed with a sword. So you can see how these guys were very much brutal in their leadership. They were ruthless. They didn't care who they needed to get rid of to make sure that their rule was secured, whether that was the Apostle James, John the Baptist, infant children, your wife, your, your kids, it doesn't matter if anyone got in the way, you just took care of them. And so in A.D. 6, Archelaus could not keep the peace in, um, in the area of Judea, which is where Jerusalem is at, and so Rome came and put in a governor. And that governor was the name of Pilate. So we're going to read about Pilate today, but um, Pilate was the governor of Judea and Samaria. And because Israel was no longer a sovereign nation, because they were under Roman rule, they had to submit to the Roman law in all matters of life. And so the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to execute anybody. And so that is why the Jews had to take Jesus to Pilate first off, because Pilate had the authority to declare someone guilty and then had him, have him punished, whatever that punishment may be. And so we see that's why the Jewish leaders in this passage are taking him to Pilate first because they had no authority in themselves to carry out what they wanted to see happen. And so um, we're going to read now Luke chapter 22. And so these things lead us right up to Jesus' crucifixion. This is hours before his crucifixion. And um, we're going to start reading in uh, chapter 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against Jesus, blaspheming him. And so here they are, the men are together. They're at the, the home of the high priest, as we read about earlier. And Jerusalem at the time was not a very big city. So Jerusalem at the time had about 40,000 people who lived there. But during the feast, which is this was during the feast, it would swell to be about 250,000 people. 
So just a mass amount of people. And Jesus is arrested first in the Garden of, of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and then he's taken over to the high priest's home, which was really more like a palace. And so trial number one happens when Jesus is before the Jewish council. And so you can see he's at the garden, he's brought over to the palace of the high priest. Now as we go through this, we're going to see that the, these homes are not very far apart. So if you're wondering, okay, how did they get from one place to the next so quickly? It's because Jerusalem isn't a very big city, and these homes that we're going to talk about are very close together. And so the first trial is this, Jesus is before the Jewish high council. Now, the high council was also called the Sanhedrin, which was like the supreme court for the Jewish nation. They had complete jurisdiction over all religious and theological matters, so they decided these things amongst themselves. And they could not meet during the night, so that is why we read that they had to wait till morning to try Jesus. However, there was a certain protocol for which the, the Sanhedrin or the, the high council had to take in order to try someone. And a couple of things that they did not do correctly was this. The, the charges that were brought against someone had to be supported by at least two witnesses. We don't see this in Jesus' trial. Also, they were prohibited from meeting on the morning of a feast day, which this was. And thirdly, the verdict that they would need to give would have to come the day later. And so they'd have to decide, on, decide hear the testimonies, then a day later decide and render the verdict um, the next day, giving them a night to really think about what they've heard. So there isn't any kind of emotional decisions being made. None of those things took place. Let's read remaining 66 on to, to verse 1 and 23. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they replied, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And so here in this trial before the Sanhedrin, they render the verdict of guilty, that Jesus is guilty as blasphemy. And because they are unable to carry out the death sentence themselves, they proceed to bring Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman governor, and who was, happened to be in town during the Passover celebration. Let's read Luke 23, verses 1-5. through 5. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said to him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and from Galilee, even to this place. And so Jesus is brought before Pilate, and when Jesus gets before Pilate, the, the charges have been changed. Right? R- originally, he's, he's tried before the Jewish leaders, and they say, Okay, you're, you're, we believe that you're guilty of blasphemy. And now they bring him before Pilate, and all the charges have been have been changed. 
And so they say this, they say he's misleading our nation, right? It's, an, it's a charge of sedition. So they, the first charge is this, he's misleading our nation. This is, is a sedition. He's leading a, a, a national revolt. They also say this, number two, that he's forbidding us to pay tribute to Caesar or he's forbidding us to pay taxes. Thirdly, he's claiming to be a king instead of Caesar. Now, if you remember, what was the responsibility of the Roman leaders, right? Their responsibility in this area was to do two things. Keep the peace, pay taxes. And so what are the charges brought against Jesus to Pilate? Jesus is is saying we shouldn't pay taxes, and Jesus is leading us in uprising amongst the people. Two things, Pilate, that you are responsible for, these are the very things that Jesus is doing. So now Pilate is forced to get into the game. Jesus isn't some kind of... Jesus is, they're saying Jesus is some kind of freedom fighter who's trying to revolt against Rome. And because of your responsibility towards Rome, Pilate, you need to do something about this now. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. Now, Pilate knows by looking at Jesus Christ and realizing that he doesn't have anyone around him, He knows that Jesus is not a a national threat to Caesar. He understands this. And so he says to to the other Jews, he says, look, he's not guilty. There's no way. This is is not taking place. I find no guilt in this man. He's, He's doing none of these things that you charge him with. And so the verdict is this, that he's innocent. Now, once he hears that he's a Galilean, well, that's where Herod comes into place. Herod's also in town for the celebration, this big festival. Herod had a number of Jews in his jurisdiction, and so Herod would then go down for the, the celebration of the Passover into Jerusalem because that is where the, the Passover celebration took place. And so once he heard that Jesus was a Galilean, well, that's, that's Herod's responsibility. Why don't I send him over to Herod and kind of, in a sense, get rid of Jesus so maybe someone else can take responsibility for him. Now, if you remember... Herod originally wanted to see Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, it says Herod sought to see Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus perform some miracles. It's a bit of a sideshow. Well, Jesus can do some cool stuff. Well, that's great because I want to see some cool stuff and maybe we can have Jesus come before us and he can put on a little performance for us. Maybe heal somebody, you know, create a storm. Who knows? And so let's read now Jesus' interaction with Herod and in 23 verses 6 through 12. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus, he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this, they had been at enmity with one another. And so here we have Herod, Jesus before Herod, And Jesus, who never turned away a sincere question, whenever someone came to Jesus with a question, looking for sincere answers, Jesus always responded. And here we see, for I think the first time, Jesus refusing to say 
a word. Knowing that Herod wasn't looking for truth, Herod was looking for a show. Jesus was not going to perform for Herod like some kind of, some kind of animal or some, put on some kind of magic tricks. Jesus doesn't say a word to Herod, even as Herod and his men are mocking and ridiculing Jesus Christ. So what does Herod do? He sends him back to Pilate. He says, I don't really want anything to do with this guy either. Why don't you, Pilate, back in your court. Now let's finish reading this section in 13 through 16. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. And so the final analysis in the, in the legal court of law that Jesus Christ has been tried in before Herod, before Pilate, was this. That he's not guilty. So there's three trials before the Sanhedrin, before the high council, before Pilate, before Herod. And Herod and Pilate both come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is innocent. Jesus Christ is not guilty in the legal court of law. Even the pagan, wicked rulers of the nation of that time realize that Jesus Christ is innocent. And Luke's point in all of this, I believe, over and over and over again is to stress this one thing, that Jesus the righteous has died for the guilty. That Jesus Christ in his innocence has gone to the cross to die for the guilty. He heads to the cross as an innocent man, giving his life as a ransom for us. And this is the most unbelievable thing about this story because he's tried in the legal court of law, found innocent in the legal court of law, and they sentence him to death anyways. If you could imagine a, a courtroom scene where someone's being tried and the life and death hang in the balance and the judge comes out and says, guess what, you're innocent, but we're going to execute you anyways because everyone in the courtroom wants you dead. You would think there's, there's no way this would ever happen. But this is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. Declared innocent over and over and over again. In the legal court of law, yet he's led to his execution anyways. This has to be God's plan. God's plan cannot be thwarted even by human attempt to set Jesus free. He still goes to the cross. This is God's plan from the very beginning that Jesus Christ would come to earth and die on the cross in our place for our sins, that we could be set free. And even after being tried in a legal court of law, before the proper jurisdiction, before the proper judges, declaring him innocent, still goes to the cross anyways. It's unbelievable how this happens. Even after a declaration of innocence, goes to the cross and is executed. This must be God's plan. Jesus Christ was punished for something that he never did. I want to just take a moment to go back to Jesus' interactions before the high council in closing. Because I believe this is where, for us, we really get the meat of what's, what's happening and really get the theological depth of what Jesus Christ is saying. And so, Jesus going back to this, we're going to look at verse 67. It says, If you are the Christ, they're questioning, tell us. But he said to them, I tell you, you will not believe. And if I, if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, 
The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so they said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And so they ask him this question. He's given three titles in four verses. They ask this, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And many Jews at the time had come to claim to be a Messiah. This wasn't that big of a deal. This, this title of, of Messiah wasn't that big because many people understood that the Messiah would be one who would liberate them from the, from the bondage of Rome. And so the Messiah would come in and, and kick Rome out and establish a Jewish uh, rule and order across the world. And so they understood a Messiah in a different context. And many people at the time had come to claim to be a Messiah. So this really isn't that big of a deal. They say, are you the Christ? And he says, look, if, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. If you remember back a, a few chapters in, verse, in chapter 20, Jesus is with the leaders in the temple. And the leaders in the temple say, Jesus says, let me ask you something, leaders. Was John's baptism from heaven or is it from man? And in front of all the people, the Jewish leaders say, we can't answer you because we're afraid of the consequences of what we're going to say. So we're going to plead the fifth and we're going to walk away from this one. And Jesus is saying, look, you didn't answer me then. You didn't believe me then. You're not going to answer me now and you're not going to believe me now. However, from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, this, what Jesus has just said, would have blown their minds. This, this is a huge theological term that Jesus is talking about. And it's referencing back to Psalm 110, verse 1, and it's a section of Scripture in Daniel 7. These are huge theological terms. And so in Psalm 110, verse 1, which is the most quoted Old Testament Scripture in the New Testament, we read this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, we read this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is referencing back these passages to the leaders. And they fully understood the implications of what's being said because of the question they ask him next. He says, look, you may think I'm the one on trial right now, but what you do not realize is that I'm the judge. I am the one in control. I am the one who's being enthroned. I am the one who has all power and authority with myself. That nothing that you can do can stop God's plan from going forward. Nothing that you can do can shut me down. You think I'm on trial, but I'm the one who's in control here. I am the one that, that, that the psalmist and Daniel were talking about when they saw these visions. I am that person. I am the royal authority. I am the one with all power and dominion. I am the one who rules over all things. I am the one with the kingdom that will never end. I am he. I am the one that this, these passages are talking about. And he says, from now on, this has is, this is taken place. I am the one in charge. Don't forget that. And so they, under, they rightly understood what Jesus is saying because then they asked this, so you're saying that you're the son of God. They didn't say, okay, so you say you are the son of man. They understood the implications of what Jesus was saying. 
So you're saying that you're the son of God. You're saying that you are equal with God. You are saying that you have all authority and power. Is that what you are saying? They understood the implications of what was taking place here. And this is the question. This is the question that's being asked over and over and over again. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the question that the the religious leaders are asking. This is the very same question that people from throughout this whole book of Luke are asking, whether it's the disciples are asking, who is Jesus after he stills the storm, whether it's the Pharisees after Jesus pronounces forgiveness of sins, whether it's the Pharisees again, whether Jesus heals somebody, whether it's Herod asking who, who Jesus is. There is this refrain of this question of who is Jesus over and over and over again in this book because he's bringing this to us. This isn't just for the Jewish leaders. This is a question that all of us need to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That is the question on the table for us today. That is the question that was posed to the religious leaders. And after the religious leaders had seen all that Jesus had done, his miracles, they'd seen the way he spoke, the way he taught, the way he cared for the poor and the broken. After all of these things, they reject him, turn away from him, decide that we are going to murder him, we're going to put him to death, we're going to silence him, we don't want to hear what he has to say, we don't want him to rule over us, we don't want to have him have any kind of, any kind of relationship with us, we want to get rid of him. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of Man, and the Son of God? Does he sit ruling over all creation as king and as God? Does he have all authority and power like Jesus is saying that he does? That is the question for us today. Because if he isn't who he says he is, then his call to take up our cross and follow him means very little. His call for us to forsake all things and pursue Him doesn't mean anything. Holds very little in our lives. However, if our profession is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and He is who He says that He is, and He can bring about the promises that He makes and the forgiveness of sins that He talks about, then His call to take up our cross and follow Him is an all-of-life submission. It means we trust Him for salvation and forgiveness of sins alone. We don't try to earn forgiveness and favor with God in ourselves and what we do. We surrender our lives fully to Him without reservation. If He is who He says He is, then this changes everything. Because now He's worthy of my time and my energy and my service and my money and my pursuits and my desires and all of my life. And I want to ask us this morning, is there any areas of our lives where we are living contrary to the reality of who Jesus is? Is there any areas in our life where we have acknowledged Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in our lives, but there's, there's pockets or areas of our life where we live in complete unsubmission to Him? We have turned our back against Him. Whether that's an area of sin or just an area of a matter of obedience that God's calling you to, that we would say, Lord Jesus, by our lives and with our lips, we will confess you as God and as Lord because this is who you say that you are. You are the king. You are the authority. 
You are the ruler. You are the one with dominion and power and glory. This is who Jesus Christ says that he is. And if there's any areas of our lives that we're living contrary to this, we need to surrender to him. We need to repent of our sins, trust in Jesus Christ fully for our forgiveness, and walk in his ways with all of our hearts. This is a call for us as well to make, to make sure of our salvation. Some of you may be here today thinking, well, I don't know if I'm really saved or not. I'm not quite sure. This is an opportunity for us to respond to Jesus Christ, that we would surrender and submit ourselves to him, that we can know for sure, we can, we can come before him, repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, that we can be made right with God. But it's also an opportunity for us to continue to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Is there an area of our lives that we need to repent of? Is there an area of our lives that we've been holding back from God? That God is calling us saying, look, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the ruler. And he deserves all of our lives. That we can respond with faith and hope. Knowing that he is not only worthy, but he can give us the grace to walk forward in obedience. Amen. We're going to pray close, but I also just want to give you the opportunity to respond. And as we pray and close, you're dismissed to get your children. However, if there are areas where you just want to come forward for prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. The elders of the church will be up here. We want to pray with you, or you, you don't have to have anyone pray with you. You can come up here and just pray on your own. That's fine, too. We don't want to miss an opportunity to continue to surrender to Jesus Christ for who he is. We don't want to continue to pretend like Jesus Christ is something with our lips, but live contrary in our lives. This is an all-of-life submission. So, Lord Jesus, we, we pray this morning that you would help us to surrender our lives to you again. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God. You are worthy of all of our praise and worship. You are worthy of all of our lives. And Lord, I ask that if there's any areas of our lives where we have revolted against you, where we have turned our backs on you, God, that you would graciously turn us back to you again. That you would be the, the ruler, that you would have dominion in our lives because you are worthy. And God, we ask as well that if there's anyone here questioning their salvation, not sure, never surrender lives to you, God, that this would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close. Like I said, if you'd like to come forward for prayer, you're more than welcome to do that. If not, have a great week. We appreciate it. If you have any questions about anything, please don't, don't hesitate to ask. But we ask that you go forward understanding that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior that he is worthy of all of our praise and worship in all of our lives. Amen.